Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. We have bought ourselves flowers, we are holding our own hands, and we are ready to discuss the new Miley Cyrus album, which is out now, Endless Summer Vacation. And to do that, I have with me Brittany Spanos and Rob Sheffield. And I thought we'd also take the opportunity to trace as briefly as possible Miley's whole bizarre path through her career. She has a huge hit right now with Flowers. And I don't quite understand how she got away without a Bruno Mars songwriting credit. Obviously, she took lyrical inspiration from it and even a bit of melodic inspiration. So in this age of litigation-fearful artists, I don't get how she doesn't give Bruno Mars just a little something, I don't know, 0.5% for this. I actually didn't realize that he didn't have a credit on there. No. I was looking at the credits for the full album. Maybe she had to talk with him and he's like, no, that's all right. I don't need the credit. Just- Mars, I feel like he was down for the drama. Whatever you need to do to <laughs> use the song for. Bruno Mars is the king of taking off from his inspirations. <laughs> yeah. He's never been shy about that. Bruno is a fan and Bruno gets how fandom works. His amazing, my favorite album of his, 24 Karat Gold, where he's doing his tributes to the early 90s R&B hits that he loves. And there's he, he's very overt about his inspirations yeah. without necessarily cutting that into the songwriting credits. But he didn't credit the police on Locked Out of Heaven, which is just a brilliant riff. The song that Flowers clearly takes some inspiration from is When I Was Your Man by Bruno Mars. And- Same bed, but it feels just a little bit bigger now. Our song on- the rumor or whatever is that her ex, her non-Thor ex, Liam Hensworth, <laughs> not to be confused with Chris, was a big fan of When I Was Your Man and sang it to her or whatever. And so this is basically a number one hit subtweet of her ex-husband. Is that kind of accepted as fact? Yeah, Bernie, I think yeah. like with every Miley cycle, there's always the shock value of like how she releases it and breaks into her new albums. And I think with this one, it was built around the kind of like very subtle reads of Liam and the relationship and the references. Not all of it. I'm still not sure where everyone's gotten all their information from, but I love it. I'm having a good time. <laughs> With the theories, a lot of people have theories about the house that flowers and the backyard sessions that comes out that is on Disney Plus. Those were filmed in a house that apparently allegedly Liam brought his other women to. There's a lot of stuff about her workout routine that she's doing in the flowers video is the same one he did for men's health. There's a lot of weird connections that people are putting together that are hyper specific. It's clearly a song that is this recovery from the divorce of from a longtime partner that's like her teenage love and moving on and finding independence in that and I think also started a lot of conversation about all the ways that she may have been shading Liam in it and not all of it is confirmed or realistic but I love it and and the thing of her in the video wearing the suit that he wore to the Avengers premiere yes yeah and also just the rumor that the Bruno Mars song is one that they played at their wedding. Yeah. That's how I hear the song, whether that's the direct literal inspiration or not. But the whole thing of you think about a song that you heard at a pivotal moment in a relationship and you hear the song on the radio or 
out at the mall someday and it just it it triggers this flood of memories back and to me like flowers is very much in that mode i yeah. just i love this song and like Brittany said the rumors are a little out of control <laughs> <laughs> But there's always what, a new theory. There's always a new strange thing that people are like, this must be a reference to Liam. And it's like, I don't know. Yes, and, <laughs> I don't know if that's it, but we can go with it. Sure. <laughs> and I love her. Her sister, Brandy, on her podcast was supposedly arguing with these rumors, but going into detail <laughs> about them without denying any of them. A lot of rumors I learned about from yeah. Brandy talking about them on her podcast. Speaking um, of learning things, I have to admit that two things that I learned from your piece on this album and on Miley Rob is that A, there is another Cyrus named Brandy. And that B, she has a podcast. I didn't know that there was a Brandy. So she doesn't there's sing. There's a lot Bra of Cyruses. Bra so there's Noah, obviously, very talented. There's Brandy. Are there more? Yeah. There's the one from Metro Station, Trey Cyrus. I forgot about Metro Station. How can we that forget about, about the Metro okay. Station Cyrus? Okay. <laughs> and there's What's... another brother, I think. I don't think he does anything in entertainment. The bonus Cyrus. Wow. Okay. I, think. Well... I feel like I'm missing a, like a second brother. So there, yeah, there's Emo Cyrus, Podcast Cyrus. They've got many, yeah. every brand of and 21st century. Doesn't, yeah. isn't, the, isn't Tish's kid. That's from Billy Ray's first marriage. And then the other Cyruses are all Tish and Billy Ray. I'm glad to have that squared away. And I must, uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I must admit also <laughs> that for some reason, I've never been able to work up tremendous interest in the Liam Miley divorce other than I like her songs about it, but it, I just don't I find it super interesting. Okay. There you go. I was heartbroken. Yeah. They were together. They got together on a Nicholas Sparks movie and <laughs> they started dating when she was really young and they like, they're teenagers and they started dating. They were together for a really long time. They had a lot of ups and downs. They had a lot of breakups and makeups. Obviously, a lot of the performances of Wrecking Ball were very tied to her like first heartbreak with him. It's just, it's like sad to see, like they got into a really good place and like Younger Now is obviously so much a dedication to like domestic bliss for them. Like this, like Malibu, I never liked the water, blah, blah, blah. They're cute. And they have this horrible experience, like their house, this devastating house fire that comes and takes their Malibu home away. That's the inspiration for so much of this Domestic Bliss album. And then they end up getting married soon after that, after a really long engagement. So they're together for a really long time or like in each other's orbit for well over a decade. And then they finally have that happen. And then it ends in a just, you know, very sudden way. I think for both of them, it was really heartbreaking. So I like them as a couple. Like I was a fan of them, but it's very clear that there was a lot beneath the surface that obviously... Miley is still processing and dealing with the fallout from. And by the way, I think that she, the limit, the time limit on referring to that fire is probably, I think after this album, no more references to the fire. I think probably, I think we're good yeah. on the fire. Yeah, I think that's enough. I think this is a proper like divorce processing amount of music that she's put out. Like we have Slide Away. I think was like the best sort of immediate response song to put out as you're dealing with this, which is just like such an incredible song. And then Plastic Hearts, which is clearly like the pure divorce album, like the angry album, the sort of fuck you album, the this is over and done and I can't do this like ever again. And then this album, there's only a couple songs on here that really reference it. But for the most part, she's dated since then. It could be about anything really. And most of the songs on this album are love songs or songs about independence. Flowers was such a good bait and switch of here's my final word really on this coming back with river as the second single like river. Like river. 
like really sexy love song and having that as the next thing instead of like jaded or another one of the kind of more breakup-y songs. But also there's so few on here. Since we're talking about the house as and the destruction of the house and the burning down of the house as our metaphor, I want to give a shout out to my favorite song about the house on this album, Muddy Feet, which is really amazing. With your muddy feet. And yeah. this is one where just the whole thing of sharing a house with someone and writing off that shared history, Muddy Feet to me is one of the greatest things Miley has ever done. I think this is this is truly a song that goes into the feeling of the breakup as Brittany described it and the way she was so invested in the shared history and, and the whole, it goes into detail about the bed, the curtains, the garden, poisoned, the roses. Muddy Feet is just an amazing song about the emotions being symbolized in the house that's around her. Yeah, and a great like second half of the album dig. Like we've, we have the first two songs, which are very clearly like these. I've I'm moving on. I'm like I've processed what happened. I'm in the next phase of my life, but I still have these like tough feelings that I'm going through. But then she's completely moves on from it for the rest of the album. And then it's like Muddy Feet is actually, I hate you. Yes. <laughs> and another thing. <laughs> Featuring a somewhat inaudible Saya contribution. Where, where am I supposed to hear Saya in this song? In this, I think she's singing some backgrounds. Same with Brandy Carlisle. She snow at the beach them both. Yeah, I was going to say that. I think that Taylor has set up the bait and switch feature trend of 2023 featuring yes. Elvis Presley. And then there's just <laughs> nothing there. But I, yeah, I did want to take a step back and just we jumped right in with a couple songs, but just where this album fits in. Brittany, you made a point that I've seen other people make, which is that it does seem to be an attempt to sort of reconcile a bunch of her eras and do a more comprehensive Miley. Is that how you see it? On so many of the songs are getting a combination of a little bit of the sort of like country twanginess, both in her vocal styling and in the phrasing of so many things. Yeah, like Muddy Feet is such a great example of that. That's a very like country song. There's still like a little bit of rock 80s Plastic Heart Smiley on here. She's reunited with Mike Will Made It, who's on this end, but it's not like a typical Mike Will Miley track, very like synth poppy and like progressive and fun. And there's such a good combination of all these different things that make Miley Miley. Handstand is such a psychedelic dead pet song. It feels like there's all these different eras coming to a head on this album and all created like really great, solid pop songs over the course of it. And I sort of reference to a lot of different things instead of being one character for an entire album, which is what has, she's usually done, right? Like she's usually just embodied whatever sort of the genre character of that album is meant to be. And really the great pop character actress in that way. This was a good sort of here's Miley, meet Miley Cyrus too. And Rob, I guess the reason why I was misled into thinking you were saying this is her best album, as you do use the word culmination, you do think this is her reaching somewhere she's been trying to get. So maybe you can explain that. This is really the first album where she's tried to be all the Miley's at the same time. It's it's her lover in so many ways. You could say that Plastic Hearts was her reputation because she went all the way into the 80s synth pop bombast thing she does so brilliantly. And just like Taylor followed Reputation with Lover, this is Miley 
showing she could do everything. She's like, you like the country Miley? You like the ballad Miley, the quill pen Miley? You like the disco bangers Miley? She's going to give you everything on the same album. Brittany, as you brilliantly pointed out, Handstand is practically a dead pet song. The Flaming Lips could have a credit on that song. This is the first time that she's done an album where she shows every single thing she's done. And she very self-consciously has positioned this album as the culmination of her whole story up to this point. This is very much her Turning 30 album as Lover was Taylor's Turning 30 album. And this is totally her just got divorced. The 20s marriage is over. Saturn returned, figuring out where I'd been and doing all the different Miley's that she's done over the years all in one place. And Rob, you pointed out that she's famous for doing these great cover songs, everything from Pearl Jam's Breathe. To, I don't know, Wish You Were Here or a million things. And that in this time around, she seems to be trying to do the kind of songs that she would have covered. For me, a good example of that is You, which is just a great ballad. Really like that song. I got some baggage, let's do some damage. I'm not made for no horsey and carry. That's a phenomenal yeah. song. I love River. I'm such a Plastic Hearts fan, and I feel I think it's become both a fan favorite and also for people who are. It wasn't a big blockbuster album. And also, none of Miley's albums have really been a blockbuster type of release since bangers but that album was such an immediate fan favorite and i think for a lot of people was a new side of miley and so i think like kind of her channeling again that sort of 80s synth poppy arena rocky vibe of her voice and of her sound is something that i really love for her and so i think her finding the a good sort of balance of that with all these other parts of her is just like what makes a lot of the album work so i love her a really great song yeah, and River is Justin Tranter joins two collaborators on this album who are, of course, associated with Harry Styles, Kid Harpoon, who we had on the show, and Tyler Johnson. And in fact, Kid Harpoon and Tyler are all over this record, which is really interesting that they're remaking pop in a certain direction, certain classicist direction. You might say. Yeah, definitely. You can hear it all over this album. There's a bit of Miley's house on this album. She's, you know, with Kid Harpoon and Tyler just really adapting to what she wants to do. And that's like really, that's what they bring to with Harry. They never impose their sound. They're just really great at at helping the artist do what the artist needs to do and wants to do musically and emotionally. And these songs are, they don't sound like anyone else. They're unmistakably Miley songs. But a song like River, which is, it's a banger, it's pop, but it's it's also, it's emotionally intense. Like it's really got the same plot as Flowers, but just like a very, it's about starting over after a traumatic breakup and looking to move on with your life. But it's a totally different musical voice for those emotions. And it's yeah. amazing to go from one single to the other is Miley's greatness in a nutshell. Honestly, what River sounds to me is... An early Gaga song is really what it sounds like, to be honest. It is giving a little bit of like Born This Way track moment. Totally. Even a Poker Face era vibe, like yeah. just that that red one era Gaga. That's the thing about Miley. She does it very convincingly. Yeah. A little bit of that, with a little bit of the 80s stuff from her last album too mixed in. Let's see. I think the, for me, the dud on the album is Wonder Woman. When her favorite wreck is on and she's dancing in 
shows up every time. I'm very picky about my ballads. And this one was not my favorite, especially because we got such we've had such great Miley ballads over the years. Miley is like a, an incredible power balladeer. Again, like on Plastic Hearts, we have songs like High. Those are like excellent ballads. This is it was fine. This is a very it felt like a very like younger now kind of scrap of a song where I'm like, this doesn't really fit as well into the vibe of this album for me. But yes, that one is the dud for me. Especially then we have the flowers demo. I can buy myself flowers. Write my name in the sand. Right after, which is like the stripped down version of flowers. And I'm like, now this I can get behind. <laughs> But yeah, Wonder Woman, yeah, that's like the, that's a hard skip for me. But again, picky, picky about my ballads. <laughs> I got to admit, Wonder Woman does get me. It gets me specifically at the end. I love that last verse. And when she talks about just like being a woman alone in her room or house or wherever she is, she is listening to this record and vibing with these songs and having her emotions with them. And I'm like, that sounds like the real Miley to me. And love that verse. It's really the second half of Wonder Woman that really gets me. But it really does sum up all the different places she's trying to go in this album. Although you're right about it going into the Flowers demo and that's a real that's a real heart wrencher. Yeah. I think I think Casey Musgraves Wonder Woman is better, but yeah, it's fine. Just to connect to Hannah Montana for a minute, I that Billy Ray was such a empathetic character in Hannah Montana and part of part of the Hannah Montana story was his quest for for romance as a single dad looking to and I love how she's playing that character in so many songs. Wild Card is definitely like a case like that. I love yeah. she's like, she she's definitely like in that kind of mode. She reminds me a lot of, of my favorite Billy Ray Cyrus scenes on Hannah Montana. And I love how she can juggle both those identities. I have my, my own fan theory that I have about a lot of this album, including Flowers, is that I feel like a lot of it is less about, I think it's about Miley specifically, but I think it's also about her mom. I think there's a lot of tish in here. I feel like she said a lot of the dedication to the album has been to her mom, who I know has, there, there's been some family drama that I've been following because I'm online in that way, on the, in the Miley <laughs> fandom. But I think a lot of it seems like a very dedicated to her mother type of album, especially coming from, she's been bringing up like Mother's Daughter a lot, all of that stuff. I feel like there's a lot of that. in the songs that seem to bait a lot of the kind of Liam Miley drama yeah, I wonder how much, since I don't care about her life, I wonder how much of the, I like her music, but I don't, I didn't know what her mother's name is. I've never seen an episode of Hannah Montana. Wow. Uh, but yeah, I'm familiar with the idea that there was a show called Hannah Montana. I've seen clips on TikTok, but I've never seen a full episode of Hannah Montana. I still like her music, despite not being as invested in the meta narrative, the yeah. meta narrative of Miley Cyrus. But it would be worthwhile to go back and just trace her career. Let's start with the Hannah Montana days. That was the first music the world heard from her was f from the Hannah Montana days. I think especially for Disney shows at that time, the music was mostly made to be for children. A lot of pre-Hannah Montana Disney. The idea was this was reaching a younger audience. So we are going to stoop lower than that and make music that is just like kitty type of like bait. And I think with Hannah Montana in that era, there was such a shift to the music itself being really good top 40 pop. They were working with incredible writers and producers. A show like Hannah Montana, they needed to make it work. They needed to have music that would make sense for a pop star to be like successful with. And like the songs on there were really good. And again, 
it helps that Miley has always been a brilliant singer and has always had a huge, incredible voice that is that intersection of country and rock and pop and is very malleable to that because that worked very well for the character itself. And I think that was really helpful with it. It was like she was making actual like top 40 pop music in this character, but obviously has a very unique pop voice and perspective. Pretty soon she was making music as herself, but as Hannah Montana, what were like the best songs? My favorite is He Could Be The One. That was really fun. Rockstar. So there's a lot of really a lot of the Hannah Montana songs hold up very well. Very good, like aughts pop music that if you put it with any other sort of like pop star of that time, it would have also done very well. Britney was just the mastermind behind our Miley Cyrus greatest songs list. It's, it's funny because that's already due for a revamp, already <laughs> thinking muddy feet in the top 10, maybe. <laughs> but Brittany really did a brilliant job with that in terms of mixing the Hannah Montana stuff into the rest of her career. And it's just funny to think of this major pop artist who's had such an amazing career starting out by playing a pop star on TV. Uh, a lot of people grow up around pop music, but Miley really grew up inside pop music. And as Brittany said, always had that phenomenal voice and was always a musician as well as this Disney Moppet playing a fictional star on TV. She's always had a really good grasp of the crossover, especially because of her dad and her dad's sort of position in country music as this crossover pop country artist. And I think that's always been embedded in her is the idea of blurring the genre lines. There was so much, again, like of the country element, Hannah Montana and in Miley Cyrus, as Miley is being introduced in the Hannah Montana universe and the Disney universe and releasing her own music, like this combination of those worlds and that history for her is never really lost. And she's always been an artist that lived at the intersection of multiple genres and has really made sure that there was space for all these kind of different influences in it. Even thinking about post Hannah Montana can't be tamed. She covers poison on there. Like, why? I don't know. There's like there's all these like different things where she's combining these things in all of her sort of musical eras and from a very early age. This song, The Climb. I gave my head held high. Always gonna I know it's from Hannah Montana, the musical, but was that technically a Miley song or a Hannah Montana song? That one's technically Miley. And that's number six on our list. Just an incredible ballad. It was, I feel like that's just like a, another one that's, it really became a fan favorite very quickly. It's such a big moment in the movie and became such a big part of the cycle for it. But yeah, I mean, that also, I mean, that's, we are already getting the introduction to Miley. Like they did the first sort of album that she technically released is called it's Hannah Montana to meet Miley Cyrus. Like the idea that to right. introduce her as herself, as she's also singing in this character. And it, the lines are... A little bit blurred even between that because just like the idea of the Miley songs that she's releasing are a little bit more like rock, pop rock in energy. Start All Over and See You Again has like a very, it's a very Plastic Hearts type of preview. Yeah. So I think that's the early vibe that we get from that. But The Climb was this big kind of movie ballad moment from Miley that showcased her voice, which is the most important part. I think the thing that she's always really fought to make sure was heard and understood as like an actual legitimate sort of talent is how incredible her range is. 
because again, there was so much of the distraction of her being a Disney star, being like a tabloidy Disney star, being like already a controversial figure in the world of teen pop. But I think what mattered most to her was making sure that people understood that she was actually talented. I think I jumped ahead a bit too much. The album Breakout from 2008 was next. I guess the song that we picked out from that one is Seven Things. Seven things I hate about you. That one was her kind of like a Nick Jonas breakup song, which is a very like thing that I love. Yeah. I love a Jonas brother as a muse type of song. Listen, it's a really good moment. Again, Miley in a, from a very early age. And because there was so much of this was such a monocultural type of moment, like she was famous beyond people who even were watching Hannah Montana who cared about Disney. She was a very well-known name from a young age in a way that you don't, I don't know. Most adults cannot name a single Disney actor right now, but like my, everyone knew who Hannah Montana was and who Miley Cyrus was. And of course, this is a kind of a post Taylor Swift world, right? Where like we're seeing a lot of teen artists reclaim the narrative, start to sing about things that are happening in their lives. This is Miley singing about the real life drama that people are already talking about with her and Nick Jonas, who had started to date Selena Gomez. They very famously... Um, Miley, Miley sings this at an <laughs> Miley sings at an award show and like sings it with Selena Gomez at an award show after Selena and Nick break up to show unity. It was a very powerful moment in history. And then so after breakout, there was an EP called "The Time of Our Lives." Extremely important EP because it introduced one of the single best songs of this century, "Party in the USA." Unfortunately, a Dr. Luke joint, but we don't have to get into that. And it was originally written for Jesse J. Now, Rob, if this song had been recorded by Jesse J, would we know and love it to this extent? I think not. No. Uh, this <laughs> song, it's very in keeping with Miley's Miley's personality, the, the Miley story that's always been. It's funny because our first hit that adults knew was See You Again from 2008. And that's one where, you know, in the chorus, she's my best friend Leslie said she's just being Miley. And it's really funny that even then, people who had no other association with Miley outside of the character she's playing in that song totally got what she meant by she's just being Miley. And mm. Party in the USA is very much a Miley branded, you know, that the Nashville girl, the sneakers, like uh, she she had never been to Hollywood parties. She wouldn't dream of such a thing. <laughs> it's very much identified with the Miley personality at that point. And it's not one of my faves. I think it's like a little bit overrated, but it's because it's so identified no. with people learning about Miley at a moment when like the outside world that would not normally pay any attention to Hannah Montana was just figuring out who Miley was and was really like getting their minds blown by her voice. It's funny to even think about how like mind-blowingly popular that song was at the time and being like, oh, this is for, like, I think I'll, even for people like me who was like invested in the like inner workings of the Disney kid drama at that time. The idea that Party in the USA blew up the way it did was already so shocking. And so I think the fact that now it just feels like a very like perfect kind of teen, teen idol song, right? Like, the ideal teen idol song to release. And she makes it her own and makes it such a Miley song because her voice again is what carries it. That twang, the way that she's singing everything, the way she says LAX, it's just so <laughs> Miley and no one else could do that. Jesse J could not convincingly do that. It's so fun and it's not in the Miley canon. It's incredible everything that she does after that. My favorite memory with that song is the Saturday 
after the election in 2020 when they called oh, yeah. Pennsylvania for Biden. And I was with thousands of people in the streets of Brooklyn in McCarran Park singing party in the USA. It was like a really beautiful moment. Someone just impromptu set up a DJ sound system and they, they were playing songs that expressed how we felt at that moment from Get Your Freak On to Edge of 17 to YMCA. But I remember just being with like, like thousands of strangers in the park, like all singing party in the USA. It was a moment I will never forget. Miley invented yeah. democracy, let's face it. It's It was a very different Miley at that point. She apparently said she was not familiar with the music of Jay-Z, despite the mention in the song. <laughs> Presumably she, she studied uh, up in the meantime. And people made such a big deal about that. It's like, she's a child. Like, it's okay. She Whatever. Who cares? It was the, she didn't write this song. It was the Billie Eilish Van Halen scandal of yeah. its day. It's, she's singing a song and she sang it convincingly and whatever. It's fine. My biggest association with Jay-Z at that point was the Linkin Park EP. Okay, we all have our journeys. I love the song. I'm just saying that like in comparison with heights that she hit later, it seems like. Yeah, she is. it feels very basic, especially when you get to the sort of like 20s Miley that we meet and like everything that she does that's so complex and experimental. It's her creep. It is her yeah. creep. It is the... Yeah. <laughs> Just think like a song like Party in the USA and then Do It from Dead Pets is by the same artist is very funny. (laughs) Don't forget Can't Be Tamed because everyone forgets about Can't Be Tamed. Yeah. So before we get to bangers, there was 2010's Can't Be Tamed. For those who don't know me, I can get a bit crazy. Have to get my way up 24 hours a day. Here's the deal with Can't Be Tamed. Everyone talks about Bangers as the like big Miley transitioning into adulthood album. And it is in a lot of it's the break. It's the one that sort of helps solidify her as being a pop star who can make a lot of top 40 hits, go on a big tour and be something beyond her Disney days. But Can't Be Tamed was the first attempt. And I won't forget it because that was her singing. I can't be tamed in a cage for the video. She covers Poison. She got really into hair metal around this time, which is why I really enjoyed Plastic Hearts because it was a callback to that era. The album is largely not good. Still on Disney's Hollywood records. She couldn't really do much. She was hanging out with the Rock of Ages cast a lot. A weird time generally. But this was her first beginning of I'm 18 years old now. Here's me setting the tone. And here's me singing in a cage with wings about how I'm it's a metaphor. It's like for being a Disney kid. People forget about it, but this was the first. And it was like the video was lightly controversial at the time. Everyone was so shocked when Bangers came out. And I was like, were you there for Can't Be Tamed? Because I was. Half of the record was done with John Shanks, who was the great co author of the OO's sort of women in pop rock boom. He worked with Kelly Clarkson and, and I think with Ashley Simpson a lot. He did a lot of those songs. So that this was sort of maybe the end of his run <laughs> is that because none of these songs actually yeah. hit. The songs yeah. are like, it's not her best album. I mean, it's it's that good midway point of she had been like the Miley solo music that was coming alongside as a companion pieces to Hannah Montana were very pop rock. Whereas Hannah was much more country pop-ish, like bubblegum pop, more bubblegum pop, but a little bit of that country twang in there. But Miley and the Miley Stewart songs were the sort of very pop rocky moment. So this was I'm still making pop rock music, but I'm going to cover Poison. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. We did skip a non-musical moment, which we should mention, which is the 2008 pretty ridiculous, quote-unquote, Vanity Fair scandal, which was another moment, I think, when adults who weren't really super aware of her, that she came into people's consciousness, that she posed in a very innocuous, didn't actually show anything, but with a sheet over her, and that became a big thing. There's even lyrics where she addresses this, that she was shamed for this, and that became something that she was reacting against later on in her even before that, there was a lot of photos from various women at Disney, like like teen girls from Disney. Their photos were leaked from their phones. Super gross moment. Miley and Vanessa Hudgens and I think a couple others. But Miley and Vanessa obviously got a lot of the brunt of this moment of there was like photos that were deemed like inappropriate that they had sent to their boyfriends at the time, which were Nick Jonas and Zac Efron, respectively. Obviously, no one cared about anything with them, but like Miley and Vanessa had to deal with the fallout of people being like, you sent bikini photos to your boyfriend. How gross. You're on Disney Channel. And so that was a controversy that had preceded that. That was like a very like shameful sort of, first off, who, why was someone leaking an underage girl's photos to the press? And second, why does it matter what she chooses to send to her? Like, they're also like underage boyfriend that she's dating and is not even that inappropriate it's just like whatever like she's 15 she'd already sort of been deemed kind of sullied in the consciousness of how people thought of her as a disney person as a sort of teen idol because there's also like the party in the usa stripper pole fake controversy where she danced on like a an ice cream cart and that had a pole while she was singing party in the usa at like Mm. a choice awards a kids choice awards and people thought it was too inappropriate the way she was dancing next to the pole. And when you watch the video now, it's the most insane thing that would ever start a controversy. It's just like a really like wild. So it was, people were really nitpicking a lot of what she was doing at that time. And that Vanity Fair cover was like the because it was her showing any form of skin. It was deemed very bad. And so that sort of that was just like, I think also what sort of pushed a lot of campy tamed and later bangers is Miley trying to at least reclaim a little bit of that agency and that and feed into the controversy because it was created for her. Yeah, that's how I wanted to set up bangers with that. And then so here we are in 2013 with an age of hits and controversy and her first cover of Rolling Stone. And it's bangers and a lot going on here. The big single was not what we associate with this album was the sort of the hip hop turn with Mike Will Made It, among other people, which had its obviously controversies. But maybe start by talking about Wrecking Ball, which was obviously a huge moment. I came in like a wrecking ball. I never hit 
yeah, Wrecking Ball, big, I, Miley, a very good sort of power balladeer. And this is such a good sort of like synthy kind of power ballady pop moment. Very emotional, obviously. It came later in the album cycle, of course, and was already sort of after the sort of big controversial like newsmaking moments had happened. And the video itself ended up becoming its own newsmaking moment with her writing a, a wrecking ball. Uh, this it's a very it's a very emotional performance from her. It's a song that still elicits a lot of emotion from her. She she tends to cry when she sings it. And yeah, and I also really loved the version that she did. At, I don't know if you guys watched the New Year's special, but she her and Dolly did a duet version of it, which was very lovely. And Rob, you wanted to talk about We Can't Stop. Yeah, I totally love that song. Absolutely beautiful sound. The way it was really like this Philly soul song that was filtered through all these very uh, 2013 kind of sound effects. It was just really a brilliant futuristic sort of song. I love that you made the connection between Can't Be Tamed and the producer John Shanks and specifically his Ashley Simpson period, because this is her la la, right? At Ashley Simpson's La La, one of the great rock songs of this century or any century. And this was her her sort of Ashley Simpson La La, Janet Jackson circuit control, really stepping out as an adult in party monster mode as opposed to wrecking ball, which was adult having feelings mode. And we don't stop such an amazing production like when you hear it now, like in the combination with her just really phenomenal voice, which is really just gaining just immense amount of brawn and brutality at this point. It's just a really kind of futuristic recording. It reminds me very much of uh, the 70s Brian Eno recordings, something that I once tried asking Brian Eno about. And very interestingly, he did not respond at all. He looked down at his shoe and began working on his shoelace. And I was like, I love that. That's Brian Eno respectfully very hard decline of talking or saying any response whatsoever to my Miley comparison. I feel like I need, we need some kind of sound effect when Rob makes some comparison that is totally apt and yet utterly insane. Uh, and I feel <laughs> some, uh, just imagine that sound effect and I'm bringing it right now. It's like when uh, someone, like when Google sends the award to people for Googling something that's never been Googled before. Right. <laughs> exactly that, like yes. Rob uttering a phrase that no one else has ever said before. And it's, yeah, that's actually, it's, I can't unhear it now. I'm stunned and impressed. But I really wanted so, to use the headline "Taking Miley Mountain" by strategy. <laughs> wow! But the sort of press cycle of the VMAs. Yeah. So this was the VMAs, not to be confused with the later yeah, VMAs problem. Yeah, the one that, she hosted, yeah, the one that she hosted with the "What's Good Miley." That's a whole other thing, which we'll get to. But this was when she unfortunately twerked on Robin Thicke. There was a lot of issues that I had with the bangers rollout and era. And I think is a recurring issue with a lot of the idea of the transitional album, right? From pop teenhood to pop adulthood, which is that a lot of white artists really hinge their entire branding as an adult artist on black music and black style and black authenticity. The idea that like blackness means authenticity. And I think for Miley, she did it. We'd already been through it with Justin Justified, right? That's that was already part of it. Nick Jonas would do it a little bit with Jealous and a little bit like there's it's happened recurringly. I think like with Miley, the problem was that she was like flanking herself with like larger bodied black women and like being herself as look at me, like trying to twerk next to them. That was a big controversy with a lot of her part of the performance. 
And that sort of of that made it worse with the blurred lines thing, which is just like, why is she say, like doing this with Robin Thicke? Which like the song I think was already reaching the end of its like its goodwill in the public. People were already like sick of that song, and this is gross. And we're already reaching a point of like really being like, oh wait, why were we listening to this? But yeah, I mean, there was a lot of issues with the Miley part of it. Like it was very peak sort of cultural appropriation. And again, washed away a lot of the fact that there was a lot of really excellent songs on that album that I think even I did not give a chance immediately to because I was a little tired of the rollout. Like I was so so exhausted by everything that was happening for her to make this like big point that I I didn't agree with. Also, when you get into appropriation, I think that one of the lines that when people start to get into a more subtle discussion of cultural appropriation and when it really becomes sort of culture vulture behavior versus just the way American music kind of works. Because I think when you just say anything that smacks of that is bad, then you're frankly knocking out like 95% of American music for the past 70 years. The very specific thing that Miley was doing justified as coming from the the through line of like pop R&B stuff. And also, again, like a lot of the album wasn't, there was a lot of trap beats and inflection, but it was like the perfect way of combining that into pop music but i think the presentation that miley was hinging it on and like a lot of what she was doing at that time distracted from the fact that she was doing a really great sort of album that was able to fuse what was happening in rap music at that moment with a lot of edm pop and that was the brilliant thing of mike will and what he was already doing in his own production with artists outside of miley but i think again like the presentation of it i was like so i was so exhausted in 2013 it was yeah, just I real. It was a real tired year for me. <laughs> it, it was the presentation and also the fact that this was not a culture now or then or ever that she was truly immersed in. Yeah. It was, and it was just witness the Jay-Z thing. Like she was wearing it a little too lightly in people's eyes and, and which came off more again in the presentation than in the music itself, which is yeah. more just pop using those sounds rather than an attempt to, to really, like, but placing but yeah, yourself just, as the other in, that's in right. sort of it, cultural. Yeah presentation and everything but yeah so that was the like my and i think obviously a lot of people's issues and i think having returned to bangers like years after that especially spending more time with songs like adore you which i think is like such a phenomenal miley song and i think four by four is such a fun combination of her and nelly perfect Nelly track like it's such like a perfect entry into Nelly's discography but it's also such a fun Miley track on there and the Britney collab there's a lot of really fun solid moments on there that obviously because of the point that she had to prove and really felt like she needed to prove at this point in her career which is a very fair point to try to prove distracted from a really brilliant pop album I think and so she she then took a fascinating left turn and I think in part reacting to the, all the you're appropriating hip, to, uh, reacting to all the kind of you're appropriating hip hop, you're doing something, you're someplace you don't belong, et cetera, et cetera. And also just exploring her adulthood. She started hanging out with the Flaming Lips, which led to a very unlikely pairing. And then which led to Miley Cyrus and her dead pets. Yeah. Yeah. Another an album that took me a while to get into. And then I was like, oh, there's some very good songs on here. I love that album. I loved the idea of Miley making this really, after she'd just done this really psychedelic electro sleaze record, she made this really psychedelic indie rock record. 
and the same kind of altered mind states and altered body states on both records, but in a really different emotional direction. She wrote phenomenal ballads on this mm -hmm. album, as she did on Bangers. The ballads on Bangers are really incredible. My very favorite is something about Space Dude, which is, it's one of my like absolute tippity top favorite Miley songs that's on Dead Pets. Oh. A lot of the songs on Dead Pets, I apologize because this kind of counts as a spoiler. They're about her dead pets. And <laughs> Pablo the Blowfish, I'm sorry to tell you, he's gone. He's one of her dead pets. But something about Space Dude is about this skater Bowie dude. And it's, I always think of it as as Miley doing her ultimate Bowie tribute. And as it turned out, it was just a couple months before Bowie passed away. So I think of this as one of the great faux Bowie songs right before Bowie signed off. A lot of the album is pretty straightforward pop songs too. Again, it's a, the bait and switch that Miley loves is like previewing the album as one sort of very shocking thing. And then you get into the album and you're like, oh, there's like a lot of like very tender, like psychedelic still, but could just be like any kind of like top 40 moment embedded in the rest of this album. So that's kind of the funny thing, but there is like a lot of those, like obviously very big and over the top bombastically weird moments on here that I think also have aged very well in, in the Miley canon and are really fun. A trippy duet with Ariel Pink, Tiger yeah. Dreams. It's a grief album too. That's the other thing is like, it, she kind of put it into this very colorful, like over the top, like she le leads with Do It, which I think was the first single from the album. And is just, I do drugs. I smoke weed. Like, it's just like the most like, it's, it's like, <laughs> okay go on sure and the rest of the album is a lot of it's a lot of grief there's a lot of there's a lot of really sad moments it's very I mean, like rob mentioned pablo the blowfish she's like in tears on that song there's a lot of these like really heavy moments that she's processing on this album along with sort of the druggy psychedelic kind of trippiness of it that's really loose and experimental and fun and i think felt overwhelming the first few times where i was like oh this is just a, like such a long album and then the more i've listened to it over the years i'm like there's a lot of really solid moments on here it is and i think that this i think that the opening track do it did color people's impressions for a long time that this is like some like really out there experimental album and again we're right it's super melodic something yeah. like space boots is trippy but melodic and but i think what it does have in common with folklore is just this realization that in the streaming age which was just beginning at that point a popster has more freedom than they used to you can do whatever it's streaming it's a whole new world and i think it's ahead of its time miley cyrus and her dead pets i think that is a little bit ahead of its time i would say <laughs> absolutely and it goes to me like that album and bangers really go together really well. Yeah. They're like, although they were positioned as drastic stylistic shift and they were in some ways, but they they hold up, they're both very melodic albums and her voice's ability to like absolutely nail a really bittersweet melody yeah. is completely astounding on both those records. We Can't Stop is a very sad sounding melody and the songs on Dead Pets, as Brittany said, it's a grief album. And the new album has been really sending me back to Dead Pets because until now, these were the saddest songs she'd ever written. She announced it when she hosted the VMAs. Yes. And it was a surprise. And it was originally an independent release, which suggests that RCA didn't want to release it. 
the bangers era was still dominant, right? This was still like the wrecking ball is still so fresh in people's minds. We can't stop like all of this other. And it does feel like that extension because there was a, there's a lot less of that separation of the eras between it came after dead pets. I feel like with the tour and the presentation of everything after that, but yeah, it did feel like she was gliding into dead pets and then let that steer as it needed to go from where she was in bangers. And since we are at the 2015 VMAs, some of this has faded into memory, but so, okay, so this is what happens. In 2013, Miley said, a lot of people wanted to try to make me the white Nicki Minaj. That's not what I'm trying to do. I love quote unquote hood music, but my talent is as a singer. So Nicki said that thing about if your video has thin bodies, it's rewarded the VMAs. And then in the New York Times interview, Miley said what in response? She was asked, what did you make of the Nicki Minaj controversy? That she was upset Anaconda wasn't nominated for video of the year. This really feels very antique, doesn't it? And she said, I saw that. I didn't really get into it. I know there's some beef. I don't really know. There's a way to talk to people. And then she suggested that there's jealousy involved. She said, what I read sounded very Nicki Minaj, which if Nicki Minaj is not too kind, it's not very polite. Yikes. Okay. So she did take a direct shot at Nicki Minaj. So Nicki from the stage said, did the Miley What's Good moment. And that was, I don't know. That was a thing. I don't know. (laughs) And then Miley said she was misquoted. But yeah. as the, no, she was, and, you, and we, we'll just. But she was. We know she wasn't, right? No, she wasn't. I mean, like, but the original, okay. the original thing we were talking about with this VMAs was that Miley was hosting and hosting very badly, and just sort of <laughs> casually and bumblingly mentioned that she had a new album ready to go, and just because of when she chose to announce this was at a time when Miley fatigue was really heavy because the VMAs that year was really heavy on Miley Stoner comedy bits, which were not funny at all and really tedious. And so for her to be saying, wait, if you want more Miley content and more druggy Miley Cheech and Chong style humor, which absolutely nobody did after watching that VMAs. So it was a really clumsy, bumbling album release. And it kept people from hearing what was actually a really good record. And I think what's just to jump ahead a little bit, it is so fascinating. And again, this is just normal, right? But Miley was what, 20, 23 at that point, 22, 23 during this era. It feels like much older just because she had been in public consciousness for so long at that time already. She had been like a decade into her, more than a decade. She'd been in like movies when she was really young, but she'd been working in entertainment for a long time. But this is an era where she's really finding herself publicly and trying to figure out who she is outside of Hannah Montana, outside of Disney. And she's doing a lot of really she's making a lot of big moves to make that known and to make herself seen and heard outside of that and seen and heard as her own sort of like pop entity. And it was very bumbling and like very all over the place because she's just that was an era where she was like excessively cursing in a way that just didn't feel natural. I don't know if you all remember from like her interviews and everything too, like where she would just, she would just like curse in ways that weren't natural ways people cursed. Like it was just, she would just add in, (laughs) she would just add in curse words just to like, as like a comma. And it was like, that's not how you talk, but I'm sure I'm glad you're trying to do this. She's, she's doing a lot of things. She does so many hosting gigs now. She has the new year special. She has, she did like a variety show. And thinking about how much more natural she is at that and how much more fun she's having and how much more of her personality shines now. She is such a pro at doing that New Year's special. That is like such an enjoyable watch. And to think about how bad that VMAs was and how much she's changed and grown in that way is just also a real testament to just the fact that these were albums made by a 22 to 24 year old. And that's just what it is. And sometimes you just have to 
acknowledge the fact that's just people are not fully formed uh, <laughs> until much later. <laughs> to actually think the Dead Pets music was color again, what happens not just with Miley is all this kind of stuff ends up coloring the way you hear the album until you can yeah. clear your head of it. And then maybe that's why I prefer to listen to music only five years after it comes out. Like just, um, <laughs> there's like a modicum of truth to that. Five year after review of albums. I totally believe in that. Yes. I, I think, I, I think it's because I think it's because like I grew up listening to music that was like 20, 30 years old. So I feel that, yeah. that li- listening to new music, it's just, yeah. you, know, you have to wait. And it's easy to forget that the flaming lips thing was also greeted with a lot of eye rolls and she's, mm-hmm. she's trying so hard to prove she's psychedelic. She does drugs. She does drugs. She's I like, it's like, all right, we get it. If someone's trying so hard to convince you how freaky they are, you start believing that they're not freaky at all. It was that kind of thing. This but again, she was when, young. Like, weed is being legalized. This is no longer a subculture to act. It's like making you like weird. Or like, I'm sure you <laughs> went to the Med Men in, on Rodeo Drive and now you're here. Don't act like this is like some weird drug <laughs> subculture. Like you're doing right. something super illegal. <laughs> she invented democracy and later killed off weed. Uh, yeah. So she had a very yeah. prolific career. Finds all uh, <laughs> How many people first heard of Salvia? Because... Yes, uh, that was the other thing. I'll put myself in that category that she made salvia. Never heard of it. Th- we all thought it was a typo for saliva. She's smoking, like she's got a yeah. bong hit of saliva. And that oh, was, was right that? before it Can't Be Tamed. Yeah, the salvia bong. Right before and Can't someone Be Tamed. Had recorded- yeah. This I actually remember. So basically way back she was there was a picture of her like smoking from a bong and she was like, no, it wasn't weed. It was salvia. That's what yeah. the deal was. Yeah. Okay. And it was also like, again, this is it in hindsight. It's like, how shitty that your friends are leaking this photo of you to TMZ mere hours after it was taken. It was like really just, just a bad, again, there's a lot of rectifying we're going to be doing over the years about how Miley was treated in her teen years. But that's part of it. <laughs> her level of fame was escalating on such a massive scale. Mm-hmm. She was not, that she wasn't in control of it. And in retrospect, it's really mind blowing. It's mind blowing that Migos. And Nick Cave both did songs about Miley the same year. Yeah. Migos had Hannah Montana, which is a fantastic song. Nick Cave singing about Hannah Montana. That's really covering the aesthetic spectrum in terms of making people fascinated with you who wouldn't necessarily be part of your main fan base. But everybody was fascinated by her. So that brings us to 2017 and her album Younger Now, which was a rootsy turn. This was her Domestic Bliss album. Again, this is her settling down a little bit. Her and Liam were in a long-term good space. They weren't, they got married after the album. This was the, this was them. This is her sort of celebrating this long relationship, which again had been ongoing through all these albums. I think they had gotten together soon after the Can't Be Tamed era. And this was coloring the background of many of these albums. Many of the pets that had died on dead pets were shared by them. This is someone that she had been through all of these, a lot of these eras with. And so this was her sort of return to country. Of course, there's a Dolly collab on here, her godmother. This is Malibu. This great California pop. So again, very endless summer vacation, a very good preview of that. One of her best singles and just such a beautiful love song from her. And then the rest of the album gets into this country pop moment. This idea of Miley, quote unquote, cleaned up, which was like the sort of the way people branded it and saw it. But it's still there's still a lot of fun moments. It's not it's probably my least favorite Miley album. 
But I think there's, again, there's some really good moments. Her voice sounds great. And Malibu is definitely one of, one of my absolute favorite Miley songs. So can't be mad at that. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely connect with Malibu, which is the, the second best song called Malibu, but not really the, the rest of that album, which seems like maybe this songwriting wasn't there, I guess. Also, is- very similar to whole Malibu. sadness in both but i think there's obviously much more sadness in the whole one but i think like very good california moments from them from from both those artists and very good sort of like california pop kind of 70s pastiche type of moments being elicited from songs called malibu yeah totally and a fascinating way that this album fits into her story is this is where she really hit the dolly parton thing hard this was when miley and dolly having this lifelong love. Everybody knows now, everybody found out really with this record that Dolly Parton was Miley's real life godmother. But something was something beautiful about that relationship is how they were both really and have always been really into reminding people that this is a family connection that they share. It's beneficial to both of them. They both love bragging about how close they are to the other one. And Miley not only has a Dolly duet on this album, she has a Dolly voicemail. This was an era of presenting receipts. I am really this down with Dolly. And I think of this album as, it, in many ways, as Brittany said, it's her domestic love album to her husband, but also a love letter to Dolly Parton and that lifelong relationship. It's really a Dolly tribute album. And again, this was a time when she started to really, again, recenter her voice in the same way that we got with a moment like The Climb. Like She was doing the Backyard Sessions, which is how she titled the Disney special that just came out for Endless Summer Vacation. She started doing these YouTube backyard sessions where she was doing these covers, which was a big moment for her career. She was doing these covers that were her showcasing her voice. She was singing with Ariana Grande. She was singing with Laura Jane Grace. She was covered Jolene. Jolene, 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 Jolene. Oh, I'm begging of you. Please. And one of them, that was a really viral moment for her. And this was a time when people, I think, had forgotten the fact that the reason why we were so sold on Hannah Montana as like a fictional character, as a fictional pop star, and as Miley Cyrus as a real pop star outside of Disney is that she's an incredible singer. And like her doing those covers, especially the, was it the Don't Dream It's Over cover with Ariana? It was just oh, like yeah. such a wonderful moment. And also this was in Beneath the Surface too of this country album is it's a very queer album too. This was Miley had come out as pansexual at the time. There's a lot of songs talking about her experiences dating women. There's like a lot of that on this album that is also very subversive in a lot of ways for country music and for popular country music. And I think that was really a powerful thing for her to express and allow people into this part of her life. And again, is lurking beneath the surface of this album that seems, it seems one thing, right? It seems like it's just like this one thing, but there's always a little extra edge that she's doing and a little extra subversion to whatever she's presenting. And there was an EP in between. The EP was released and this was the first release after her and Liam had gotten married. And like after the house had burned down, after her and Liam got married, she releases this EP that's like a little bit of a, and also a very good, I think also a very good preview of Endless Summer Vacation. Like it's a little bit of a reference back to Bangers era Miley. Like she's doing a little bit more trap beats under it. Like Mother's Daughter is like a phenomenal song by her. The rest of the EP is, I could 
leave it. But like that song's really good. The RuPaul song is especially horrid. Maybe the worst song she's ever released <laughs> in her entire career. I think it was just like a really fun and promising moment for her. And it was supposed to be three EPs that were going to be an album. And then she ended up cutting it short because of the divorce. And then she released Slide Away, which is, again, like an incredibly, I just, I don't want people to lose sight of Slide Away. I think that <laughs> is just like such a good song and like such, it's literally the perfect divorce song. Like it is the best possible thing she could have released. It's like this grungy, perfect moment. A lot of references in the video to We Can't Stop in the Bangers era and like all the kind of excess that sort of led to the dissolution of this marriage. But very good. So I, I don't want to forget it before we go to Plastic Hearts because Plastic Hearts no, can no, exist yeah. without Slide Away. Slide Away was a standalone? Yes, it was a standalone song. She performed at the VMAs and she forgot about it and does not do it ever. And I think about it every day. <laughs> and so bring it back. If, you, if Miley does a tour <laughs> and she hears this, she better play it on tour because I think that is a perfect song and just incredible. I feel like Plastic Hearts, it's funny, we're so deep into her career. But it feels like the first time where people were like, oh, all right, this is a good album. I don't have, there was nothing, there was the divorce, but there was nothing to really distract them. There was no controversy for them to hate it over. It was embraced and it is a really strong album. Yeah. And it's also the covers again. There's people, the thing is, Riley needs to, like, she's always reminding people that she can sing. And it. she has to, like, it feels like she has to keep reminding people that, like, she's, like, more than, it's like the... Cash 22 of being so strong out of the gate as a an adult pop star of trying to make a name and separate name for yourself from where you came from that she gets sucked into this idea of being only the shock value and the controversies and stuff. This a lot of this was really helped by the fact that she's doing songs like Heart of Glass. Zombie. Voice is just like making them her own in a way where you're I'm suddenly listening to Miley Cyrus's version of Heart of Glass even more than Blondie's version of Heart of Glass who knew that was possible and she just completely makes it feel like it was her song from the beginning and those covers really help and then on top of that there's Midnight Sky which again another a great sort of response track this like Frida it's very similar to Flowers it's like the angrier older sister to Flowers I can do whatever I want now and I'm free And everyone's talking now, so I might as well give them something to talk about and have some fun. And it's such a good Stevie Nicks 80s track. And Miley has a lot of before and after moments in her career, but a huge one is April 2020. She goes on Saturday Night Live. The quarantine at this point has gone on for almost two months, which was beyond what anybody could have envisioned when it started. And she sang Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here. such a pivotal moment for Miley in terms of her becoming what she always wanted to be, which is the all-around entertainer, all things to all people, sort of carrying the whole story of pop music on her shoulders. And her singing Wish You Were Here really got people in, in the heart of quarantine at a point where it was like, oh, this is not going to be over in a few weeks. And that really set up Plastic Arts, her whole sort of Renaissance is pretty pointed out as a cover singer, which really flowers in this era. 
And when people look to Miley to tell them stories about pop history, because Miley is an artist who loves doing that and is really brilliant at doing that. And that talent particularly really began to shine around this time. And that really sets up Plastic Arts. Plastic Arts really is like one of her New Year's specials. For Hey, now I got a special guest, Joan Jett. Hey, now I've got my friend from London, Billy Idol. I remember listening to Plastic Arts for the first time and I was thinking, my God, she made a Billy Idol record. And then I heard the next song and I was like, my God, Billy Idol is actually on this album. Yeah. She's making all the dreams come true. And yeah, it's such a great... Oh, yeah, I was going to say, it's such a great sort of in the references that she's making are so specific. And I feel like that 80s L.A. gritty underbelly versus, again, this sort of being a companion to Endless Summer Vacation that way of Endless Summer Vacation feeling. She hopped off the plane at LAX and she's been through it all. She's been through all the eras of (laughs) of L.A. lore. (laughs) She got the memo. Finally, she is the memo. Lost the cardigan years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I think the I think. The other thing that's interesting is for someone who was accused of jumping on trends, this was the first time where she really, I guess Deb pets as well, but this feels like she really was both ignoring prevailing trends and perhaps setting new ones. I think it's actually pretty interesting to compare Midnight Sky to the Weekends album Dawn FM mm-hmm. that came out two years later. That definitely could have been a track from that album. So I think she was, I think she was predicting some of the return of rock. I think she was predicting some of the 80s stuff. I think it's a strong and courageous album for sure. Yeah, it's just, again, the voice sounds incredible. This is, she had gotten vocal surgery at some point in like 2019 vocal nodes and that she was worried that it would change her voice for the worse. Like she, there's a lot of concern about that. And it just found this like deeper resonance to it that sounds excellent on this album. And just really, again, there's, I'm a picky ballad fan. Some of my favorite ballads that she's done are on this album and just really fun moments. Also really still malleable. I went to go see um, this country artist, Morgan Wade, the other week and she covered Bad Karma by Miley and Joan Jett. In the middle of the concert, it's such a wow. shocking moment. I was so thrilled. Wow. It was it sounded like a perfect country song. It's like this like very peak sort of Joan Jett 80s rock moment. It just sounded like the perfect kind of Nashville country song. All right. So that takes us, I guess, to the present day. Final thoughts on Endless Summer. What did we not cover? She's in this moment of really good and healthy life reflection where that is she's allowing all of those parts of her to exist without feeling like she needs to to kill them off or forget about them completely she's allowing that meta narrative to flourish as it needs to and i think that's such a great great thing for an artist to reach in their career and in their life and i'm I'm excited to see where this leads her again i hope that she she does a tour again she did not tour for her plastic hearts and it's been a it's been a while since she's been on the road and i think it'd be really fun to hear these songs live along with where she's at creatively and musically she's been on the road in sense of doing a lot of festivals but going on a proper sort of headline tour i think would be a really good moment for this Brittany, you did do a cover story with miley for plastic hearts mm-hmm. did she say things that kind of pointed the way to endless summer vacation that made it less of a surprise to you yeah i mean she seemed really comfortable with a lot of her past already at that point and i think now she's able when we spoke she was looking back on both that era and what it brought her and who she was musically and her how much she loved the songs that she made as a teenager and didn't look back on them with regret or any sort of feeling like she loves those songs she still performs hannah montana songs live she looks back on that fondly instead of feeling regret about the music she made because it still feels like a part of her and i think again also looking back critically on the way that 
how a lot of the way that she was treated by the press and by the public as needing to be this emblem of purity and of goodness in teens and how that affected her was a really important thing that she was reflecting on. And obviously Endless Summer Vacation is like a better sort of sonic combination of those histories and like that being able to look back at that. But yeah, it did feel like she was in a good place of not regretting and not living with the idea of that she needs to forget entirely where she came from. She was proud of all that. She told you that she had a sort of a bad habit of before that of every album sort of denouncing everything previously. So she's finally gotten over that and re-embraced her essential miliness. So there we go. Rob, final thoughts? Yep. Brittany perfectly summed up so much of what I love about this album. It's really a musical autobiography in so many ways that it covers all the different stories that she's told about herself, all the different places she's been into one. This is really an album that seems to sum up everywhere that Miley has gone until now and maps the way for her future. So I think it's a really career crowning album. I I think it's just an absolutely phenomenal statement from an artist whose best years are still ahead of her. Miley Cyrus, Rob and Brittany, thank you so much. And that's our show. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, subscribe to Rolling Stone Music Now wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us five stars and a nice review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify because that's always appreciated. But as always, thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.